Hi, my name is Olivia Young, coach of the Flyers. Hi, this is Travis Sanheim. Hey, I'm Travis Konechny. Hi, I'm Paul Holmgren. Hi, I'm Matt Neskinen. Hey, I'm Scott Lawton. Hi, I'm Joel Fairby. Hi, this is Bob Clark. And you're listening to Snow the Goalie. 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 Oh, yes! Ladies and gentlemen, the time has arrived. You know, you might have thought that it was going to take forever. Maybe it felt like a long time since the bubble maybe maybe it's felt like no time at all maybe it's taken you a long time to kind of wipe away the miserable stink the odor that was game seven against the islanders or maybe you've just been counting down the days until hockey's back but ladies and gents hockey is back by the time this this podcast posts it's going to be opening night for the orange and black and you will notice that my dear colleague anthony sanfilippo is not here and as much as I like to make fun of Anthony and he and he reciprocates, I do have to say that we all need to take a moment here to just keep the guy in our thoughts because Anthony uh, was exposed to this damn virus that I just knew he was going to get. And it wasn't even his fault. This actually wasn't his fault, but I knew it was going to happen. And every time something important has happened with this show in recent memory, he ends up hospitalized. Now he's not in the hospital as of right now. As of Tuesday night when we record this, he has not been hospitalized. He tells me he's okay. He sounds horrible. You will hear in a little bit in the interview with Travis Sanheim that he tried to fight his way through two questions because God forbid he'd take a day off from this podcast. Nay, nay. So you go tweet at him, at Ant San Philly. Let him know you're thinking about him uh, and let him know that the show was just not the same without him. But since Anthony's not here, I figured that we should we should – Extend an olive branch. We should extend a lifeline <laughs> to a man who got absolutely screwed uh, by his employer. Many of you reached out on Twitter, and he's here. No, not Katie Emmer. No, not Bill Clement. I'm talking about Colby Cohen. Colby, thanks for joining the show once again. Well, I, I think I have to start by saying we do wish Anthony well. As much as we all give each other a hard time on a consistent basis, you two are 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 the odd couple. Um, mm. But you guys are nothing but fun and entertaining to to do these shows with, just based on your guys' chemistry. So I'm keeping the seat warm. Uh, definitely not filling the shoes because those are not shoes that I can fill. But I'm just trying to keep the seat as warm as I can um, while the big guy recovers and. Um, you know, I actually had COVID maybe a month or two ago, um, and was fortunate that it was like super mild. The only symptom that I had was the taste and the smell. Um, otherwise I probably wouldn't have even known that I had it until I was eating one morning. And I was like, after I finished eating, I was like, wait, I, I couldn't taste what I just ate. I don't think that's right. So we wish him well. It's unfortunate that the, the hockey's about to start. Hopefully that'll help his immune system or maybe hurt his immune system, depending on how the season starts. But I'll, uh, I'll, I'll do my best to, to fill his shoes. And I also will say this, you know, you, you briefly mentioned, you know, I think at this point, everybody knows I, I won't be back on the broadcast this year. Um, but I have to say, I was shocking and floored at the response that I got from everybody um, and I'm thankful for it. Like I, you know, I tried very hard to, you know, immerse myself in the culture here. And 
you know, as a kid, I was such a Flyers fan, but, you know, I, I went off and kind of did my own thing for a while and you don't get to choose who you play for or work for a lot of the time. And finding my way back here was something that I wanted to do as a player, didn't get to do that, but getting to do it as a broadcaster was awesome. And, you know, sort of reintroducing myself to the hometown and, you know, seeing the support that I got from everybody, the amount of people that said, hey, so you're not going to be working on network. So maybe you'll do more podcasts with the guys. And, and, you know, so many people reached out to me to sort of show appreciation for what I tried to do on the air. And I'm very thankful for that. I know I put out a tweet and tweets are short and you can't really express how you feel. And I'll be honest, I was surprised because most of what I normally get is nasty and negative. Um, so it was, it was a heartwarming feeling for me to see that people have appreciated the work that I've done um, and what I've tried to do the last couple of years. Well, I'm glad you're here. I, I want to address before we get into all of our predictions, which of course there are a lot. And I think Anthony and I last week, we were incredibly positive on this show, which doesn't happen all the time, at least not unanimously. Usually it's me being a yippie chihuahua and, and saying that everything is great or me just like screaming that the Flyers didn't do enough, which I did last season. Um, but we both agreed a week ago that this is a positive season. And I think before we get into anything else, it's uh, important that we take a moment to hop into the interview that um, Anthony and I did earlier this week with Flyers defenseman Travis Sanheim. There's a lot to dive into here uh, about his relationship on and off the ice with his teammates, especially with Phil Myers. Um, he outs one of the former uh, guests here on the show uh, who will remain nameless momentarily, uh, or at least for a bit, as being a cheater at uh, Call of Duty Warzone. Not really cheating, but being a computer elitist instead of playing uh, on a console like a normal human being. And um, there's a lot to get into in this interview. So uh, without further ado, here's the interview that we did with Travis Sandheim. Don't forget, on the back end of the interview, Colby and I are going to be here with our predictions. And I mentioned a couple of other people who worked over at NBC Sports Philadelphia, and I think there is a massive bit of clarification that has to go with one of those people that um, the written report that was put out even on Crossing Broad doesn't go nearly far enough to explain what happened. So make sure you come back after the interview and, uh, and catch us on the other side. How about that? Without further ado, here is Travis Sanheim. Oh, yes, ladies and gentlemen. It's time to welcome a man to the program who, believe it or not, officially, unofficially, we've gone back and forth on this, was the first guest to ever be on Snow the Goalie. Now, it didn't happen in a traditional setting. We didn't sit down face to face. It was a, a recorded interview that Anthony did with this man in the locker room, I believe in Voorhees, as the Flyers were about to push for the postseason in 2018, none other than Travis Sanheim. Travis, thank you so much for joining the show today. Thanks, guys. You, you remember those good old days, right, Travis, when we could actually talk in the locker room? <laughs> yeah, it feels like ages ago now. Um, yeah, it's been crazy last last year and a bit. So um, hopefully we can get, get back to that in the near future. Was there ever a time that you thought that you might even the slightest bit miss that bit of normalcy. I know some guys don't like standing in front of the cameras after games, especially after a loss, but I have to think that there's like at least a small part of you that misses that little bit of human interaction outside of your normal bubble. Yeah, I think so. I think everyone's, 
at the point now. I think early on <laughs> it might have been uh, um, not so bad. I guess maybe you guys enjoyed it a little bit, uh, a little bit more freedom and space. But uh, yeah, I think we're at the point now where we want to get back to, uh, you know, whether it's media in the locker room or, or fans in the building. I think, you know, we want to get back to that normalcy and um, back to where, um, you know, it used to be, I guess, because that's, you know, that's the exciting part about this game is, is being able to interact with whether it's fans or, or media or um, just any, anyone really in general. It's just, it's, it's obviously frustrating from our standpoint where uh, you kind of uh, feel like you're in that bubble. Now, Travis, one of the things we always like to ask guests when they join us on the program uh, is to tell us about their hometown. And yours is kind of interesting because it's such a small town. Tell us about Elkhorn, Manitoba. Yeah, I'm not sure if there's much to talk about. Um, <laughs> there's the Gardens Diner, apparently. I did a little bit of research. I found, I think, two or three restaurants in the whole town. Yeah, uh, Gardens Diner. Can't say I've been there in a while, but uh, um, yeah, we have maybe two restaurants. I get a couple gas stations. We have no no stoplights. We have uh, just stop signs. So it's pretty small town. Uh, I think maybe 500 people. I don't even know if that, that might be generous. So uh, K to 12 school. So you stay in the same building your whole um, elementary right to high school. So, um, you know, I enjoyed it. That's, that's what, where I grew up and uh, that's what made me who I am. It's made me the person I am, made me the player I am. And, uh, you know, I give everything back to them and, um, you know, just the, the local community and, and the, the fact that I can jump on that ice at any point uh, throughout, um, you know, my childhood and uh, growing up, it was, that's, that's what made me might be the player, the skater that I am because I was skating every day. I, I had basically the keys to the rink. Now Elkhorn is butted up against, I believe it's uh, riding mountain, right? The national park. How much time did you spend there as a kid? Actually, you got the wrong Elkhorn. That's uh, that's the Elkhorn. Resort. Oh no. That's up at Clear Lake. No Elkhorn, Manitoba is right along oh, the geez. Saskatchewan border in between Burden and Mooseman. This is what I get for trying to do a little bit extra on this one. Yeah. is confused Elkhorns. Now, how many yeah, Elkhorns are there in the world? That, that would be a good, uh, a good trivia question. I'm going to do that right now and yeah. see if I can find at least, you know, 10 other ones. You mentioned skating so much. Growing up with a twin brother um, who also is a hockey player, how much influence did he have on kind of pushing you to get to the highest possible level where you're at now? Yeah, probably the biggest, biggest person that uh, helped me because uh, we were fighting every day. Uh, because we were, we were that competitive. We battled, you know, in the basement, we, one was in net and one was shooting and every day, uh, you know, we'd go until there was a fight and then mom would try to break it up. We'd go upstairs and 10 minutes later, we'd be back down playing again. So, uh, whether it was at home in the basement or, uh, uh, out playing shinny on, on the local rink, um, you know, we, we worked together and, and, uh, worked against each other as well in the sense that we were just competing against one another, wanted to be the best and, and that's uh, you know, how we both were able to, to, to play for so long. If we were to ask him today, <clears throat> uh, what's the one thing uh, that Taylor would say that he can do better than you? <clears throat> it doesn't have to be hockey, hockey related. What would he say? <laughs> well, hockey related, I know exactly what he can do better. He can, he can fight and he can hit. So uh, <laughs> if, we could, if we can combine our two games, I think we'd be, we might be a pretty good player because uh, he had that nastiness to him. He was, uh, he was a little, little bit more dirty and uh, liked to get into that rough stuff. And, um, you know, it was, it was, 
a good compliment to, to me, but in saying that he did have some skill as well. And, um, you know, he could put the puck in there, he could shoot the puck. So it was, it was, it was a fun time to be able to play junior with him. So that's growing up. That's your brother off the ice. And then, uh, you know, some guys, I guess, when you're thinking of, of trying to build synergy and, and building a link on the ice with a, with a partner, you know, some people would say that the guy that you're paired with on ice is kind of like a de facto brother, at least on ice. And the guy that you've been paired with the most has been Phil Myers. Uh, I, I know I've brought this up to you in the past, but last year, Elaine Vigneault talked a lot about the unlimited potential, the unlimited ceiling that the two of you have together. And going into this season, it, it looked like there was a chance that Phil might get a look. You might get a look with, with Ivan Provorov on the top pair. That's not to say that it won't happen at some point, but the, the two of you on ice together, two big guys, two guys with offensive, you know, uh, potential. What's it like being on ice with Phil Myers and how do you guys play well off of off each other, you know, at such a high level that a, a coach like Elaine Vigneault would would continue to put you guys out there through the growing pains and through success? Yeah, I think. Well, I think to, to start off was uh, the fact that we played together in the minor league and had success down there and. Um, you know, growing that relationship, I, I think you, you start to understand uh, where they're going to be, where they want you to be, what uh, what they're going to do with the puck, where you can get them the puck and, and their strengths and um, how you can feed off of that. And um, Phil's just, you know, he's such a good good uh, player and um, able to communicate well with him. I think it helps that we're both around the same age and, um, you know, we're not afraid to talk to each other, whether it's, you know, good or bad. And, and not, not that we're saying that, you're mad at each other, but I think just uh, when there's things that you need to work on and get better at, I think it's, it's good to be able to communicate that. So um, that, that's one of the, the benefits of having us together. I think that's, that's why we're still together in the sense that uh, we know what each other's going to do and in a shortened camp um, makes the most sense to have some familiarity uh, with us together. So that's the on ice component uh, off the ice. The two of you, do you guys, uh, of all the guys on the team, you know, who were some of the guys you spend the most time with? You spend a lot of time with Phil. Are there things that off the ice you guys you'll do that he doesn't do that you guys are just total opposites on? Are there things that you guys link up on that you share a similar interest in? Like give give people a little bit of an idea off the ice of what that relationship looks like. Yeah, I think, uh, you know, I hang out with Phil obviously a lot, uh, whether it's been, uh, you know, because of the fact that whether it's development camp and stuff coming up to we built that relationship. So it's, it's been pretty easy to come in here, whether we're going for dinner, one guy's texting the other to see where they're going. And um, same thing with all us young guys. I feel like that's just, uh, um, you know, we've been together for so long coming up with development camps and training camps and uh, you get to know one of one of one each other uh, pretty well and um, makes it pretty easy. Are there uh let's go a little bit off the beaten path a little bit. So you mentioned coming up through, uh, the minors with a bunch of these guys, are there things, you know, now that thankfully you're not having to play in a bubble this year, are there things that you guys link up on, uh, like anything that you guys watch that you banter about, you know, on, on team trips, are there any shows, any movies that you guys are totally into that people should give a, uh, a watch to? I think Yellowstone was, was going pretty strong there for a little bit. Um, obviously waiting on a new season. Now, a bunch of us, some guys are just picking it up, but that was, that was a big one for a while. Um, I think gaming as well. I think guys, uh, a lot of guys like Call of Duty and um, especially when we went into the bubble there, there was a lot, a lot of days where you had nothing to do and it was either that or watch hockey for 12 hours. So um, you tried to break it up a little bit. Uh, we watched a lot of hockey, but we also uh, 
it made it fun. You could hop on the Xbox. You got the mics going. Guys are are uh, talking, uh, chirping each other about their game, and uh, it makes it fun. It, it makes it uh, the time go by a little bit easier too. Who's the best at it? Who's the Call best at Call of Duty? Oh, in the bubble, TK was getting pretty good. There was a bunch of us because we had been playing so much. I think Raph was pretty good. Lots was pretty good. Uh, Beezer, Beezer was probably the best though. But he he cheats. He plays on the on the keyboard uh, on the PC. Uh, so that's we're all playing. So, we're all playing system. So, so you guys are playing Warzone then, right? You're going cross platform. So. If he's playing on the computer, does that then make him like the total elitist on the team? You mentioned like plugging in the Xbox. Usually the computer gamers are the absolute elitist. So they're kind of insufferable to be around. Is that is that what Joel Farabee is? Yes, he is. Yeah. It's no fun when we, we, we tried to play war or no, we tried to play Warzone, but uh, a couple of times we were playing like uh, six on six, like uh, multiplayer. And yep. it wasn't fair at all. We'd Beezer, Beezer would be killing everyone. <laughs> Oh, man, see, it's it, this is nice because Anthony usually likes to try and, you know, he, he talks about guys who played in like the 40s when he was like 20 years old. Stop. And it's nice to actually be able to share something with, with uh, somebody on the team. And I'm sure that a lot of people who are listening <laughs> can also relate to their friends who, uh, who like to cheat by playing uh, on their computer. So that's nice. Um, I want to take you into a, uh, a segment that we do here on the show that Anthony is not very good at. And I made this one. I tailored this one to be about you and your career. So uh, hopefully you'd like to play along with this one. We call this segment, there are two questions. It's a two-parter. I don't know if Anthony would get it right. He's not the important one right now. Uh, First things first, I have mapped out every goal that you have scored over the course of your career. Uh, First question, who is the first goalie that you scored against? Do you remember the team? Do you remember when it happened? Do you remember who you scored it against? Yeah, I do. Does Anthony know? No. <laughs> uh, it was Buffalo. It was Robin Leonard. And um, it was in the first period, maybe halfway through. That is correct. So, okay, right good. Cross? You've already, yes. Okay. So you've already, you've already taken down Anthony once again, that is a very low bar, uh, but I'm glad that you got that. All right. Here's the, the next question. I should know that one. <laughs> so over the course of your career, you have had more success against one goalie than any other goalie in your career. And it's not even close. As I started to map this thing out, it just became more and more apparent who that guy is. Do you know who the guy is you've scored the most goals on? And do you have any idea how many you've, you've put in the net against him? Yeah, it's Bobrovsky. I got six out of my 19 goals against him. I actually knew that one, Travis. That that, you did. You didn't. You, you could have checked with me on that one. <laughs> you did not know that. I did but know yet, that. Uh, it, it's interesting. So six goals. Uh, and in two of them, you you put two in. Um, Bobrovsky is a guy who obviously, you know, has won a Vezina before. Does it add anything special? Like when you look back on the goals that you scored against him, does it mean anything when you look back and you say, yeah, yeah, that's the guy I dominated. It's not just some like career backup. It's not somebody who's just a nobody. Like I've I've had success against a guy who who many people respect as one of the better goalies in the game. Yeah, I think maybe a little bit, but uh, I'm not too concerned about it. Actually, the guys start to joke about it now every time we play them. That uh, everyone knows that I that I've plotted quite a few against them. So it kind of makes it pretty funny once uh, when I do score because especially that uh, I think it was was it last season I got uh, another two on him, and uh, when he was in it was either last season or the year before, but um, it might have been the year. Yeah, before. it was tw- it was 2019. Yeah, uh, yeah, it was 2019 against uh, Columbus. Yeah. 
Well, yeah. 2019, I scored two or four against Columbus, but then the next year yeah. I scored another two when he was in Florida. So no, that, last was, year. that was, uh, yeah. that was when it was kind of got comical because the boys couldn't believe that I kept scoring every time we played him. And then the, you know who the other, we, the next time we played him in Florida, he got pulled early in the first. So the boys were joking about that one, that I wasn't going to get a chance to score. He got out of the net too quick. <laughs> so it was all out of fear, right? Uh, uh, do you know who the only other guy you've scored two goals against is? This is a bonus question. I got two on Matt Murray. I don't know if you're counting the playoffs, though. So those are two across two different games. You actually had a two-goal game, I believe. unless Lundquist. There you go. Um, All right. So, Anthony, I feel good. I feel good about um, this segment of Know the Goalie. I feel like I might have to get Travis on here more often because he knows knows things, which is good. This is a – Better than I do, for sure. Yeah. So, uh, Travis, another thing that we kind of banter about on this show is what is the best hockey movie and why is it Goon? No, no. (laughs) What did you say? Why is it Goon? I said, yeah. And why is it Goon? (laughs) It isn't Goon. Oh, come on, man. All right. So which which one is the best hockey movie? Best hockey movie. I mean, Miracle. You can't go wrong with Miracle. Um, I also like Slapshot Mystery Alaska. I like those ones, but I think Miracle, just the, the storyline of it and um, how it all played out. You know what bothers me about that answer? I'm not going to go at you over it, okay? But every time somebody says Miracle, they always say you can't go wrong with Miracle. And I never feel like when somebody says that about a movie, it's what they genuinely feel. It's like they're afraid to go outside the box. Like if you'd said Mystery Alaska and that had been it, I, I'd be like, all right. But it feels like, Every time somebody says that movie, yeah. it's just kind of like, I'm afraid I don't, I don't want it to come off the wrong way. Miracle is the way to yeah. go. I will give, I'll give you an opportunity at some point to reassess, go back, watch Goon again. And then, and then, <laughs> you know, we can, we can clarify this. Not, Anthony, you have sure. anything? Goon's making the top three. Yeah. It's wow. definitely, sla- wow. it's definitely slap shot. Yeah. Thanks. Thanks for putting him in his, in his place, Travis. He deserves it. <laughs> yeah. So. Uh, away from away from the ice, is there uh, any kind of a hobby or things that that you like? You mentioned gaming before uh, with your teammates, but is there something that, especially since you guys aren't in a bubble, you're not necessarily quite as constricted in what you're able to do uh, as you were when you were in Toronto? Is is there something that people might not expect that you enjoy doing? Currently, or just normal normal living? Let's go normal living. Uh, normal day, uh, I probably, if it's in the off season, I'll be golfing quite a bit. That's, that's my go-to. I like going up to the lake too. I enjoy being on the water and stuff like that. Um, those would be my two, I guess, in the off season. What's your handicap? Not great, but I've been working on it. Um, I actually wasn't really much of a golfer growing up because Elkhorn with it being such a small town, we actually don't even have grass greens. We have sand greens. So wow, we're hitting it out of like a pack. Like it's it's so bad. Like some of the uh, or the courses. So it wasn't uh, for me growing up. I didn't really get into golf a whole lot, and um, took it on once I probably hit juniors. I guess I started picking it up a little more, and then now it's like a go-to in the off season. So I'm working on it, getting there. When you look at what this season is, and and the expectations that you personally have for yourself and for the team as well. Anthony and I said last week that 
that realistically, if a couple of things go well here, especially the return of, of Oscar and, and Nolan, that there is a potential here that this team could be a Stanley Cup contender. It could be a team that finishes first in this division. What, if, if any, expectations do you have for the team? And do you have any kind of personal goals that you want to hit yourself that you're, you're willing to put out publicly? <laughs> um, I think as a group, I think we are all uh, really excited about this season. I think uh, it's hard not to be when you look at our roster and, um, and saying that we got a really tough division and uh, we know it's going to be a battle every night. It uh, doesn't matter who we're facing. So uh, it's going to be a tough challenge. I think right now you're just, you're, you're looking to get in. And once you get in it, I don't think it matters what, what position you're in. Um, you know, you've seen it before that, uh, that, that really doesn't matter. Anyone can, can, can win from then on out. So that's our goal right now. And, and that's our focus is, is to get back to playing well and uh, make the playoffs and, and make some noise. I think that's, you know, last season was, was to get in. Now it's, we want to start taking that next step further as a group. And for me personally, I think it's just, uh, you know, I don't necessarily have any goals, you know, points wise or statistically wise. I think it's, it's taking that next step as a defenseman. And that means uh, establishing myself as a, as a regular uh, top player where, where I can play at both ends of the ice, play in the power play, play in the penalty kill and, and just a guy that's relied upon in, in all situations. So, um, that's my goal going forward. And, um, hopefully I can take that step as a player. Well, uh, we thank you so much, Travis, for coming on the show again. The, the first guest we had, this now makes you a two-time guest. I believe that the only other person who has been a two-time guest on the show is, uh, that, that computer cheat himself, Joel Farabee. So, uh, <laughs> I don't know who's going to be the first to three Pete. You're going to uh, have to call him out on the next time. <laughs> next time we'll make sure that we do. I don't know when that's going to be. We'll have to find some time. We will go after him, and, and we will point out that, uh, that that is cheating. It is totally unacceptable, and he's got to learn how to play with an actual controller like any, any kid should. So thank you so much for, uh, for joining us on the show today, Travis. Uh, we greatly appreciate it, and best of luck this season and, uh, and going forward. Thanks, guys. Appreciate you having me on. Stay safe. Yeah. Thanks, Travis. And that, ladies and gentlemen, is Travis Sanheim. So, Colby, I guess the first question I have for you is, uh, do you play video games at all? No, I'm, I'm really not a gamer. It's not something – no. The long story short, I've tried to get into gaming even during the pandemic. I bought an Xbox and got, like, NHL 20-whatever, 2020, I think it was. Um, and I played for like a week online against my brother and I lost every time. And I was like, game video games are not for me. That's sad. It's sad. It's shameful. <laughs> You've got to work at it. You, you know, you have to work and get better. Um, it was funny because I, uh, of all the people, I didn't think that Joel Farabee, who's the youngest guy would be the one that's the computer elitist playing with a, a, a keyboard. It actually irritates me. It upsets me. I have friends that wanted to play Warzone, like, I don't know beginning of the pandemic we would play and like the one guy who's playing on a computer his connection was always the worst and it was just like we where i was like oh well we lost steve again there he goes he's like yeah but this computer is great it's so much better than the ps4 you guys are playing on it's like yeah but our connection's good it doesn't matter if you have a nice computer if your internet sucks so anyway i digress um want to get into some of the predictions before we do i'm not going to ask you to comment on this unless you're comfortable doing so a former colleague of yours actually two uh, over on crossingbroad.com, 
um, a story was written up. Kevin Kincaid, who's the the machine, he is the the poster extraordinaire for the site. Uh, he wrote a thing up about how Katie Emmer found out very late, uh, very close to the season, that she would not be brought back, which was in line with things that we had heard over the summer. It was interesting that she hadn't been told that she was uh, not going to be returning to the network until roughly a, a week or so before the season started. Um, this is not par for the, or this is par for the course. This is not surprising. So for anybody out there who thought to themselves, wow, they really did her a disservice. I, I talked about that at the end of last show, which was a very long episode, but I said, you know, especially in, in sports and in sports media, when you have a young woman who left her home of Minnesota to relocate, to immerse, as you talked about, and, and to understand a city and a culture. And, and she brought knowledge to the table. She was miscast, I think, in the studio role and would have been better served if she had, and Taryn Hatcher had switched roles. That's my thought. Anthony agreed with that. I think there are other people who would agree. Um, but Katie's knowledgeable. And I think that they did her a disservice by not only letting her go, um, not only by miscasting her, but then not letting her know that she wasn't going to be brought back until roughly a, a week, week and a half before the season starts. Yeah. Um, yeah. And I, it, it's interesting because um, I can tell you guys all that Katie is such a student of the game. It was probably the thing that impressed me the most about her. Just take the on air like side out of it for a second. And we're just going to talk about like the human side of it. She was so hungry to understand the NHL and to understand the flyers and the city. And I mean, she, she didn't, she would have a day off and she would come and she would sit there and walk around the newsroom and ask people questions who knew about hockey during a game. I would make a comment when we would sit in the green room and Bundy and I might be, you know, discussing a power play, or I might say to Al, did you, you know, like, did you catch that play there? And like Katie would stop us and ask us questions. Sometimes I would get mad at her. I'd be like, Katie, too many questions, but she was so willing to learn and her attitude was so good. And she worked so hard that she earned my respect right away. Um, and you know, I was always really, I was just impressed with her to come here and, you know, take it, live it. I mean, she really did. She lived this job and I, you know, I, I, it sucks to see her, you know, lose this gig because it was such a major role for her. And she, you know what, she held her own and she did a good job and she got better all the time. But I'm just telling you, like behind the scenes, what people will never know and see about her is how hard she worked and how much she wanted to learn the game. Like she had not she she didn't have a sort of a snobbish attitude that I sometimes have found. Um, she didn't need to be the star of the show, which sometimes a host likes to be the star of the show. Like she was a good teammate. She worked hard. You know, Bundy basically took her in as like a family member because she was here by herself. She didn't know a soul, um, you know, and it, it's a shame. It really is. Like I, of the, of me, Bundy and her, all of which were not brought back. I, I feel for her the most because, you know, she uprooted her life for this. And, um, you know, it's disappointing to see that she isn't being brought back for whatever the reason is that I, I don't know. I have no idea, certainly not privy to that type of information. There's always rumors, but, 
Um, she would have been someone who could have worked in this market for a long time until someone from a national network plucked her away because of her work ethic and her, her willingness to learn and, and to try to get better. And so it's a shame. It really is. Like, I, I really believe that as a host, she played hockey. And so she has a baseline understanding of the game because she played it and she goes on the ice and she still will go out and play and skate and all that stuff. Um, and I, I, I think ultimately it's, it's a loss for everybody. I, I do. I mean, to be honest, all of the people you mentioned losing Bill Clement, we as Flyers fans are so lucky. Like we don't even know how good we've had it our whole lives. Um, with our broadcast teams in Philly watch having Bill and Jonesy as your one, two punch on air in game. There isn't a better one, two punch in the NHL. Like there just is. Uh, and, and Bill for me personally, like Bill would call me sometimes and chat with me after a show and work on my craft with me. Like someone that is 30 years old, who's, you know, pushing to replace people that are at the end of their careers, he would get on the phone with me after a game and work with me. Like, who does that? Like, he cared about the show so much that he wanted me to get better to make the show better that he was a part of. Like, he's just, he's all character, all class. And, you know, I, it sounds he, like he was pretty pissed. Well, so let me pull back the curtain a little bit. Because there, I think Anthony and I have talked about it on, on this show. Kevin and I have definitely talked about it on the other show. But um, sometimes you have things that are reportable, that you have vetted multiple times over, but you feel like is maybe not taking the moral high road by publishing it. Because without having the consent of the person who initially sent out a correspondence, you might think to yourself like, all right, even though we have it, even though we know where it came from, even though we have multiple people who sent it over that have been good sources in the past, you don't feel good about sending something that was meant to be a correspondence between somebody who works at a company to a, I, I guess in theory, a superior that happened to have a bunch of people on the email as well. So it's not as if it was just like a one-to-one -one communication, but without getting in touch with Bill Clement himself, I believe the stance, at least uh, of Kevin, who's the managing editor of the site was, if I don't get his okay, I'd, I don't want to release it. I don't, I don't want to put it out there because it's not meant for public consumption. But here which are a couple impressive, of the, by the way. Yeah. And, and it's which funny, is, you know, which says it's, it says a lot because there's not a lot of people taking moral high grounds in, in our line of work anymore because everybody wants clicks. So like I give Kevin a lot of credit for, you know, protecting people's reputations and people's privacy. Like that, that's, that's, that's an admirable thing in, in a time when people are worried about clicks. So let me, I guess, drop the, the little bit of a bombshell on people. Bill Clement did choose to retire. That is true. That is what is written. He opted to retire. I don't think he wanted to retire. But I think he realized that he had been disrespected for long enough and enough times by one of his superiors insofar as getting the same treatment that you got, getting the same treatment that K 
Katie Emmer got, getting the same treatment that Bundy got, getting the same treatment that, insert the name of many people across many sports and across many different types of talent at that network over the past however many years, there's just a cold shoulder. There's a silence that people are met with. And when your livelihood is partially dependent on knowing whether or not you're being brought back or whether or not your employer has interest in bringing you back, and that employer then goes on and gives you the silent treatment, does not respond to you, at some point when you have as much skin in the game or as much as experience and as much clout in the sport as Bill Clement does, at some point you say, you know what, screw this, like I'm done because you've disrespected me consistently. I've taken the high road time and time again, but at some point you either have to show the respect or that's it. And that's what happened here because from multiple people who are close to Bill Clement that have reached out to me and to other people at the site, that is that is what happened. I, I think that if Bill Clement had had a uh, a superior who valued his work and who was a decent person in, in that regard as a professional, Bill Clement would be back this year. He would be back as the color analyst for this team and probably for the foreseeable future. Now, Bill, I believe, was not going to do this for another 10 years, maybe not even another five years, but I don't think he was ready to be done, especially with the team as good as they are. And as a guy mm-hmm. who played here before, you want to be here while things are really good. And so the idea yeah. that with the team coming off a pretty solid playoff run, with the team set up to be in a really good position going forward this year, the idea that that guy's going to just walk away, if that didn't send up 40 red flags for you as a, as a listener or as a fan of the team or as a fan of the sport or as a fan of Bill Clement, then let me just tell you now that this wasn't a choice that he should have had to make. This should have been a situation where somebody at the network said, you are very valuable and we want you back for the foreseeable future or at least for a year. And that should have been communicated as far back as the end of the bubble. And he didn't get that. Yeah. And, and look, I, again, what I'll say is that I'll miss Bill. I liked working with Bill. I liked watching Bill as a fan. Um, I'm not going to comment on my specifics personally. I'm disappointed. I liked working there. I did. I worked with great people. I got great relationships with Michael Barkan and Amy Fadul and Bundy. I mean, I look, I watched Bundy play as a, as a Flyers fan when I was younger. You know, Bundy was on some of those teams when I was in middle school. Well, probably like high school, but maybe the end of middle school. So I got to work with Bundy and Al's an awesome guy. I mean, it doesn't get any nicer than Al. And I had fun with Katie. I mean, I don't know. Amy Fadul, I did games with, who's such a good person. We had good producers over there. Like there's a lot of really good people over there. There's great talent. I mean, the football guys, whether it's Ray or, or Derek, or, you know, I mean, they're just, they're all good people. Um, you know, like I, so I, I had a good time working there. I'm disappointed. Um, you know, it, it was a shame to find out only a couple of days before the season started because, yeah, it doesn't give me a chance to go make some phone calls, see what else is out there. You know, for me, luckily, uh, you know, it, it's not necessarily my livelihood. So, um, you know, I'll still continue to do the stuff for ESPN and do the college stuff. And, uh, you know, when the phone rings and, and, and maybe it will, you just really don't know. I'll, I'll be ready to, to take that kind of stuff on. But, 
you know, it's, it's a shame for, for a guy like Bill to have a sour finish to such a celebrated and decorated career on the ice, off the ice, uh, you know, mentoring young broadcasters, just being, being a good dude. I mean, it's just like Bill Clement is a guy you want to go sit down and have a drink with because he's just a good guy. He's fun. He's got good stories. And the one thing above all else about Bill on TV, he cares so much about the product. He is, that guy has never mailed it in on a broadcast in his entire life. Like I've heard stories where he was driving producers crazy because he was so meticulous about the way he wanted things because he cared so freaking much. So it's, it's a loss for all of us. Like that's the way I look at it. Um, you know, Bundy is a guy who exemplifies what it's like to be a flyer for a long time. He'll be missed on the broadcast. He was an emotional guy who, showed his emotion on TV. And, and I always appreciated that because for me, it was never really, it, I was not emotional as an analyst. That was really not my role. You know, I tried to be more of a, a, a of a, an X's and O's analyst, if, if you would, mm -hmm. because, you know, it was a little bit of a different thing for me. Right. So Bundy was emotional and he was, he wore his emotions on his sleeve at, during the game. And when the team didn't play well, he was pissed. And when they played good, he was happy. And, and, you know, he's a flyer. I mean, Bundy is his identity is that logo. And so, you know, it's, it's a shame to see guys like that move on. And, you know, the last thing I'll say about it is look, Scott Hartnell is he's hard. He's, he's awesome. Like who doesn't love Hartsey? He's a good guy. He's just new getting into broadcasting and he's going to do a good job. He played with a lot of players who still play the game, which is invaluable. Having a guy who's played with current roster players against current roster players, he will bring you guys, um, you know, a different aspect and he will, you know, settle into the role. He'll do a good job. Al, you know, nobody knows the team better than Al for however many years he's been around. So um, you know, it's a shame, but the broadcast will not suffer. They will still be good. The people that are still working will do a good job. And, you know, let's hopefully we all get to watch a good product this year. And if you don't like the product that's on the network, don't forget that every Flyers home game, you have the Press Row Show hosted by myself and Anthony Sanfilippo. Colby, I think we, and I think maybe, now, exactly. I, yeah, I think I now, no like, why, why not? There's now. no conflict of interest. So, um, right, yeah. You know, we do we do that show every Flyers home game, pregame, first and second intermission. So, um, you know, the, the home opener Wednesday night. I think we're trying to figure out the logistics of, uh, you know, Mr. Covid, uh, Anthony San Corona. Ooh, I like that. That's what it's going to be from now until <laughs> oh, no. he's back. Um, but we're, until, we're figuring out the until I know he's fully till I know he's fully recovered. I'm going to refrain from from any from laughing at him too much. If I didn't laugh at him and poke fun at his expense, he would actually be upset. So if anybody's out there thinking that you. this is that this is horribly insensitive of me, I've checked no. in with him about 20 times since he told me about like, is it okay? Are you sure? And he's he pretty much said he'll, he'll kill me if I if I stop the shtick. So all right, we're gonna keep rolling with it. Now, let's take a look at uh, this season. So the Flyers are in a tough realigned division. It is a division where they will play their opponents eight times this year. Uh, there are going to be rivalries uh, ratcheted up. 
in a sport that has seen fighting more or less disappear, all of a sudden, fighting might be back. The idea of physicality and about bad blood, this is going to be great for TV ratings. This is going to be great for uh, the the idea of like pissing vinegar kind of thing, right? I, I, for one, am very excited. As a former player, can you give people a, a little bit of an insight, not just into the fact that they're going to be playing these teams so often, but that like this week alone, Flyers-Penguins two games to start the season – and they're not separated by much. It's Wednesday and Friday. That's a heck of a way to start a season. Give people a little bit of, of, of insight. What does this look like if you're a player and you're going to go up against one of your, your more bitter rivals two games and three nights just to start things? Yeah. Yeah. Well, first of all, what you have to make sure you do is you cannot get behind the eight ball in a division like this. You just cannot. You've got to make sure that no matter how that first 20 minutes goes, you're taking these deep breaths and you're regrouping and you're not letting your emotions get too crazy because here's the deal. Hockey is a game where players really do police each other. And there's a lot of people that have said, oh, we get rid of fighting, blah, blah, blah. But I actually think you take fighting out of hockey, it gets more dangerous because you lose the accountability. When you start playing a team two days, two, two times in three days every week, the accountability levels for the way you act out on the ice will be spotlighted. So you got to believe that like Travis Konechny takes a run at someone early in the first game someone's coming out there to finish their hit against it. Like things will snowball and, and really fester quickly because you're going to see that team again, the next, like normally that doesn't happen until the playoffs. You might have one or two home and homes throughout a season with the Rangers, the Penguins, the Devils, whatever. But like now you're going to get into this situation where you're seeing each other way more than you want to see each other. I mean, I, I think that, everybody enjoys when you get on the road and you start playing the teams in the Western conference. If you're Western to the Eastern conference, you see them once at home, once on the road, like you look forward to seeing those teams that you don't see a lot just because it's, it's a team that's new. It's fresh. They don't know your tendencies in the locker room before every game there's, and I think we've probably talked about this at some point on the show, but you know, there's a chart. And it's, it's either a dry erase. It's normally a dry erase board that has, you know, like already marked lines and stuff like that. And then a coach can come in and write the lineup in there and whatever. Well, they have that for the away team too, or the, you know, your opponent, the lines, there might be, you know, some things about their power play, some tendencies, you know, Bruce Cassidy, who was my coach in, in the American league for a couple of years, who's, you know, in Boston now used to go through the other teams lineup before the game Talk about tendencies of every single player. This guy likes to, you know, when he goes back on the puck, if you finish your check, like he'll, he'll go invisible, like all of these little things. So now you're going to be playing teams two, three times in a row. And those tendencies and those types of things, like, you know, you're going to have a chance to, to figure that out. You're going to watch film after the first game and you're going to know, oh, well, we play them again the next night. So I think you're right. There's going to be a lot of physicality. I think there's the, the blood, the bad blood will develop quickly. I think you're going to play the Penguins twice, and then you're going to look at the schedule and see when do we see them again? Because things are going to start to carry over. Like one game, you know, you might have something that happens that kind of goes under the rug. But when you start to play teams 
back-to-back consistently, things do not get swept under the rug. I mean, there is just no way. So I agree. Like, I think that will make up for the intensity that is missing because there are no fans. And I do believe there is an element that is missing. I can't speak to the other sports because I've just, I've never done them. I've never, I mean, I played baseball as a kid or whatever, but I never played basketball and football. But even like the fans bring a level of intensity to places. And I don't care what anybody says. It's human nature. 18,000 people screaming gives you an extra step. It gives you a burst of energy. It creates jitters. It creates flutters that bring out certain things in you. So I actually think having these back-to-back games, Russ, will sort of help to make up for what's missing a little bit, not having the fans. Because honestly, like people always say, the NHL playoffs is the greatest thing to watch in the world. Part of the reason for that is because of the fans, because they're so passionate. Like they're so diehard and into it. They create an energy that you feel. You feel it in the locker room. You feel it in warmups. You feel it when you score a goal. You, you, you almost have an out-of-body experience. It's so incredible. So I agree with your sentiment. I, I do think that it's going to bring some intensity that could be lacking because you don't have that energy created by the fans. So I want to get into the roster itself. Now, there are a few surprises, I, I will admit. So being down at camp last week um, for a, a few practices and, and watching scrimmages, there are a couple of things that stood out to me that I didn't necessarily expect. But then going back and, and thinking about what Elaine Vino talked about um, in his press conference, it's funny. I don't know if this has ever happened before. Um, there was a question that I asked him, I think, on Friday that ended up making the scrimmage telecast. So it was it was about the idea of would you rather have guys that you think are kind of on the on the cusp, guys that have shown something. Would you rather have those guys around the team with the taxi squad or send them down to the A and get game action? And the guy that I was really thinking about in that in that case was Morgan Frost. And Igor Zamula was a guy who had been paired with Justin Braun throughout much of the the week-long training camp and was a guy that, like, many of us who were down there were surprised had found himself next to Justin Braun when, like, Mark Friedman had always been a guy that we just knew was kind of, like, NHL-ish ready, was a guy who's probably, like, your seventh or eighth defenseman, doesn't have a super high ceiling, but, like, could be a serviceable defenseman. He kept he kept, you know, finding himself over on the phantom's ice. And it was like, wow, is this a moment where we see Zamola kind of just take that next step? And I think it was on Friday. I said to, I don't remember who it was, but I said to somebody like, what if the idea here of having him paired with Braun is because you just don't know, like with, with Matt Niskanen retiring and him being the vet of that defensive core, like what are the odds that fine, Justin Braun is under contract this year, next year. But like, what if, there's a possibility that that he's he's dealt at some point, right? And that this was one camp that you had where you could take one young defenseman, pair him with a vet, have him pick his brain, have him learn as much as he can about how to be a professional. And that's what the Zamula and Braun pairing was. Like there was never actually an intention for that to be something that you would see in the lineup, but rather Zamula wasn't a guy who was around the team a ton last year to learn from Matt Niskanen. So you're, you're kind of pairing those two together with the hopes that 
you know, Zamula is a sponge and that at some point he'll continue to add on to his frame. He'll get to that NHL level physicality and maybe you see him in the next year or so. So it was interesting to me that he's not on this squad. Morgan Frost, who was a guy who looked great in drills, looked apprehensive and, and somewhat in his own head in a lot of, in a lot of ways in scrimmages came out in, in the intra squad scrimmage and looked good. He ends up making the team. And I, I don't know if I'd go as far as to say I would eat my words on it, but I think the interest squads uh, scrimmage really helped. I think that helped to stock a lot. Uh, were you surprised by anything that you see on this roster? We could do the rundown, but I'm guessing people have seen it at this point. Four words, Nick Abicubel, Sean Couturier, Joel Farabee, Morgan Frost, Claude Giroux, Kevin Hayes, Travis Connecting, Scott Lawton, Oscar Lindblom, Nolan Patrick, healthy, Michael Raffle, James Van Riemsdyk, Jake Voracek, defense, Braun, Friedman, Ghost, asterisk sort of, Gustafson, Haig, Myers, Provorov, Sanheim, and then obviously Brian Elliott, Carter Hart. The taxi squad players, uh, Andreov, Bunneman, Lyon, Moran, Prosser, Torinsky. Anything surprising to you? Um, not really, to be honest. I mean, I'm not surprised with Frost because I, I, I'll be honest with you. I don't think they know what to do with him yet because again, like you're hitting it on the head. He's probably ready, um, to take that next step. And he's probably ready to, you know, develop his game into a full-time NHLer. Like, I think if this was a normal year and he gets a full training camp, you know, I think he's a guy who's, who's knocking on the door to get a little bit of an opportunity. But I just think that now they don't know what to do. The AHL is still a little bit of a question mark. It's not going to start for a little bit. You know, having him on the taxi squad might not be the best for him either because they want him out there practicing with the NHL guys. They want him around the team. Uh, you know, look, there's so much uncertainty. I mean, uh, you know, Dallas had all those guys who ended up getting COVID and, you know, they lose like half their roster in one day. So I think the thought process is here is that he's going to start as the 13th forward, but he's going to play sooner than later. And I think... This year, more than any year, we know guys are going to get into the lineup quick. I think in a normal year, you send the guy down, let him play the first five games in the American League, score a bunch of goals and get his confidence. And then when someone gets hurt, he comes up. This is so different, right? Like the guys are, the AHL team is probably going to play out of Voorhees. I don't know if it's official, but I would guess that's what's going to happen. So, you know, having them on the team, practicing the first couple of days, it's a deep group. I mean, the fact that he couldn't make the team with a good camp shows you just how deep they are. And, you know, that's something that should really excite people. But um, I'm really not surprised at anything else. I didn't think Zamula was ready. I heard, uh, you know, talking to some people within the organization, they thought he had a good camp. He took another step, but he, he's probably not there. Could he play some games in the league this year? He very well could. Um, I think, they were happy with Eric Gustafson. I think everybody got to see him up close and personal. And I think everybody likes, you know, how smooth he is back there. And, and I think that's the best way to describe him. He, he's very smooth. Uh, I don't think he's as dynamic as, you know, the top group, you know, and I'm not even talking about the elite group. I'm just saying like the top group of offensive defensemen in the NHL. I don't think he's quite on that level. 
Um, but I think he's very smooth and he brings a good element of puck moving. He can dish the puck on the power play. Sounds like he wants his game to be more well-rounded, which is important. So, you know, this, this roster, it looks a lot like I thought it would. Um, you know, I, I, I heard Oscar, you know, look strong and, and they're happy with him and they have high expectations for him again. Um, you know, I'm interested to see how the, how it plays out with James Van Riemsdyk. I mean, I'm, I'm biased, you know, I, I'm a Van Riemsdyk fan. I still think if you get him in the right position, he's going to score goals. He's done it for too many years in this league that they need to find a way to utilize him and they need to find a way to get 25 goals out of him because it's a shortened season. But um, you know, that, that'll be, uh, you know, a, a question mark and depend on his use. If he's used, he'll score. Um, you know, I saw a lot of chatter about Nolan Patrick, Russ, and I know you're excited about him. Um, you know, I, I just want to see the kid do well because it's been a rough road for him. I know a lot of people have kind of this sour taste with him because, you know, he doesn't give the media very much. He sort of it comes off like he really doesn't. I think it's just his personality. He's young. I think he's guarded. I don't think he's a bad guy at all. Um, and I, I want to see him do well. Like I root for guys to do well. It's so rare that I'll be like, ah, I hope this player doesn't do well. You know what I mean? So I see certain things. Um, and, and I'm, I'm not surprised. I, I'm just not. I, I, I think I'm also the type of guy, Russ, that wants to see it happen in games. You know, I want to see Nolan Patrick perform in a game before I, I'm ready to say this guy was a, was a, was a good number of two overall pick. Um, the one thing I did hear that I'm just remembering now from, from someone who works within the organization was that Kevin Hayes came to camp and looked like a man among boys. So uh, my response to that was, well, he makes 7 million bucks. So I'm happy to hear that because I think Kevin is a phenomenal player who does a lot of little things that I don't think are appreciated but when people see $7 million, they want to see points. So yeah. I, I, I think he's poised to have a really good year. Yeah. I mean, there's a lot to unpack there. So I think, you know, last year we said that in a, in a perfect scenario, Kevin Hayes is your three C because Nolan Patrick outplayed him. Right. And then last year before the season, the migraine disorder was, was brought up. Um, and I said before last season, I didn't think Nolan Patrick was going to play a single game. I was I was told I was an idiot. I was told I was a jackass, that I was dismissive. Um, well, you're kind of both me- those things. I mean, yeah, most of those things are true. Um, I'm but, saying what Anthony would have just said. Just yeah, no, no, that's fine. No, 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 you don't have to couch it. You don't have to put it, you know, under the guise of being, you know, San Corona. All right. Um, San, Co- <laughs> San-, San for COVID. Um, so I am. Um, I think that the thing that that like stuck out to me was personal experience, family history with migraines on my side of things. If you don't know what the trigger is, it's incredibly difficult to regulate things enough to get your life under control. We had Keith Primo on the show over the summer who said that if, if Nolan Patrick doesn't know what the trigger is for the migraines, if they can't figure that part out, he needs to focus on his life and if he can't get to a healthy place in his life, he needs to retire from hockey, which was fair. Seeing Nolan Patrick now and having had the benefit of watching him in camp, you would never know that he missed time. I mean, there's nothing that's that different about 
what Nolan Patrick is right now in an abbreviated camp versus most vets would be coming back into a camp. Now, I will say, since you brought up Nolan Patrick not talking to the media, he was uh, available after the intra-squad scrimmage. And I did make a note that he was exponentially more engaging. He was certainly um, more informative uh, in, in what he was saying. There was better insight. But part of that was also because the line of questioning was better. This is like a whole thing too, right? Like sometimes the media just asks stupid questions. Like the whole concept of talk a little bit about, that's lazy. That kind of question pisses me off. Like when somebody says, Nolan, talk about what it's like to come back from migraines. Hey, reporter, here's an idea. Talk about all of that education that you got for the degree that you got where some like Jamoke like me ends up right next to you in the scrum and asks a better question than you. Okay. So maybe, maybe it's a little bit of projection on the part of some of the media, but I digress. I think that with Nolan, the interesting thing here, and you brought about how James Van Riemsdyk is so critical and, and utilizing him in an, in a good way is so critical. This is pretty much the best way, I think, that this team could try to maximize James Van Riemsdyk in a role where if it doesn't work, it doesn't kill them as a team. The idea of putting him on the top line is something that might inhibit this team. Him on a third line where he and Jake Voracek are flanking Nolan Patrick, to me, is, is arguably the best use for him. Now, I, I, I brought this up to Nolan. He gave a good answer on this, but like, James Van Riemsdyk and Jake Voracek will never be confused for elite two-way players in this league. Elaine Vigneault talks about the 200-foot player all the time. These guys are not that. But what they are is extremely versatile and useful and dangerous in the offensive zone. And when you have those two on the wing and Nolan Patrick in the center, that to me is a recipe for shot creation, chances, and dynamic play. And we'll just keep it pretty simple. If you can possess the puck in the offensive zone and continue to get shots on net, good things are going to happen. It doesn't matter if you can backtrack down to the other end of the ice if you're that dominant in possession in the offensive zone. Now, you will get burned from time to time. There is no doubt that this line will probably have some shorthanded opportunities going the other way against them. But if they maximize each other's skills, this could be a very high-scoring third line. Yeah, and quite Listen, frankly, it, it's, it, again, it speaks to the depth this team has that those three are on a line together and that it does not adversely impact the quality that you have on the top two lines. Yeah, I mean, I, I think it could be the best third line in the game this year uh, from a danger standpoint. And here's the other thing to keep in mind. You've got three players who have a chip on their shoulder for a different reason. You know, yeah. I, I know James was not happy how things finished last year. He wants to contribute. This is not a guy who is looking at his paycheck every two weeks and, and just going home and leaving it at the rink. A lot of players are able to leave their business when they leave the rink. They don't play well. Things aren't going well. They get home and they're, you know, they're just, they're home. They're human. Not Reamer. I mean, this is a guy who lives the game of hockey, lives it. He goes out of his way to, you know, spend money on treatment, physical therapy, cutting edge training, everything. He's maniacal about it. So he's, he wants to, 
he wants to have a good season. I mean, it's very important to him that he plays well and this team wins. And Nolan Patrick has another chip on his shoulder because all he's read about for the last year is what a bad draft pick he was. And his skills will never go away. He could miss three years of hockey. He'll just, he'll be just as skilled. Now it's going to take him time to get in game shape. It's going to take him time to get his hands and his timing back to the top level, because you just can't miss that many games without take needing a little bit of time. So the first couple weeks of the season for him are, are really going to be conditioning. They really are. But the kid's a good player, and he's got more skill than 75% of the NHL having missed a year. I mean, he he's oozes skills. So once his timing gets back to him, he, if he stays healthy, he's going to be a dangerous player. And you add the fact that he's now pissed off. He's annoyed because he's been called out. He's been called names. He's been this and that. So now this is a guy with a chip on his shoulder. and then. Voracek, you know, AV, one of the first players he called out in training camp was Voracek. Yeah. Uh, you know, he wasted no time going after the guys. So you've got three players that have a chip on their shoulder and are all have nothing but reason to be dominant players in this league. And, and don't discount that. There is a human element to all of this type of stuff. And it, you just cannot discount that. So I think, I mean, geez, like I think going back to what, 2010, like have the Flyers really been this deep? I mean, they, the one thing I look at and think they could maybe use and they'll address it at some point, you might need a little sandpaper somewhere in the lineup, maybe some heaviness somewhere in the lineup. Maybe Sam Marin ends up, you know, they feel comfortable putting him at wing. Um, I don't know, but I do think, you know, you look at Washington with, with, with Chara and it's weird to say that, isn't it? And you look at Carlo in, in Boston and, and, you know, you just start looking around and, and there's some heavy players and, and you, 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 you probably need a little heaviness somewhere in the lineup, but it's as deep as a team as I've seen in, in a while since I've been covering the team and, and around the team. And even back to sort of some of my last years playing, I don't remember the Flyers being this deep and this skilled as far as 13 and eight go and goaltending, you know, I, I just, I don't remember it. So I think it's a good division, Russ, but I, listen, you want to be the best, you're going to have to beat the best on a consistent basis. And, you know, I, I've always been a believer in that. It's like, Oh, we drew this team in the first round of the playoff. Listen, you want to win the cup. You got to beat good teams and it's simple, but it's a reality. That really got me excited. That got me hyped up. I think this is good. I think we're in a good spot. You know, the times that you and I can sit back and feel positive and feel good about what's about to happen on the ice, that's not a bad thing. I, I got a little bit distracted because I, I just double-checked again. Jake Voracek still has me blocked on Twitter. I still don't know what I did, Colby. I don't know what I did. I did nothing. I didn't even know man. he had, to be honest, I didn't even know Voracek had Twitter. You're kidding. I don't follow him. You're not serious. What's his Twitter handle? No, I didn't know. He doesn't strike it's... me as a social media guy. Oh, my God. He killed a guy the other day. He actually murdered a really? man in cold blood on Twitter. Yeah, I had to use a different account to see. You know, it's great. What is his, Thanks, um, Jake. What's, what's his handle? It's Jacob. It's uh, J-A-C-H-O-B-E. Maybe you don't know he has it because he has you blocked, too. Wouldn't that be something? News here. No, he doesn't. No, no, he doesn't. A... He doesn't have Why am I blocked? I want to know. Somebody let me know. Why him. am I blocked? 
I oh, want to I'm know. Looking at his feed. Oh my god. So yeah. So here he, <laughs> he killed a guy the feed. other day. He um <laughs> somebody somebody said the other day, and this is the thing. This is why I probably got blocked because I mentioned the fact that Jake definitely looks for his name on Twitter. He definitely searches his name. He does not only look at people who mention him. So there's this conversation that's going back and forth. And one guy says, and Voracek has his best year in a Flyers uniform last year and is still way overpaid and has a five cent head. Did not tag him, just wrote Voracek. Voracek quote tweets it and says, better than the five cent body of yours. So there you go. He killed a man. But you know on what? Twitter. Can I say something though? Go ahead. The fact that he responded, that he searched his name out, retweeted with a comment, he's owning it. I got no problem with that. That is one thing about Jake is that he he'll own it. I, I don't know him well. I've met him a couple of times. Um, it's funny years back in the summer. One time when I was coming back to Philly, he was leaving like in his first or second year, I was going to rent his place um, in the summer. This was like year we're, we're, I'm going 10 years back. So we can, you know, we chatted a couple of times and I, I didn't end up doing it because I, I just stayed out in the suburbs, you know, where I'm from, but uh, I, I, you know what? I got no problem with that. Like I interact with people on there too. Sometimes when they shit on me, I, I do yeah. because sometimes people say things that just like, they don't make any sense. And they're so stupid that you're like, how about like, we have a real conversation. Like, tell me what's really bothering you. You know what yeah. I mean? So I have no problem. Stop with, trying with to fix he, people. With, what, what is wrong with you? Don't with what, fix people. I, people can't, some I, I people can't be fixed. It's okay. It's okay. Yeah, I know. But I, I just like, you know, like I remember I, I was getting frustrated, like maybe even like two months ago. And I was like, it's frustrating to me that like they're making rules, meaning politicians are making rules and they're not following their own rules. Like that was yeah. it. It wasn't, it was no, and people responded to my tweet telling me that I was a racist. And I was like, I and I would I sat there and responded to every person who said something like that. And I said, honestly, maybe this is a teaching moment for me and you can help me understand the correlation here. And I seriously responded. I remember to one guy, I wrote him back like a thoughtful, nice message. And he just told me F you. And I was like, like, this would have been a good chance for us to have a real conversation where you can make me understand, like, what did I say that's painful to you or that's insulting? And, like, he couldn't tell me. It was just F you, F you, F you, because I can. And I was like, okay, I, that's that's interesting. I think I even called you to vent to you about that. You did. Um, it just, I, I, so when people are, like, doing it lighthearted and fun on Twitter, like he is, and he's chirping, like, I, I like it. I think it's funny. It's good to see some hockey players show personality. So I, I got that on, on Roids about a month ago when I tweeted a video of Jalen Hurts walking off the sideline after scoring a touchdown, sticking his tongue out, and appearing to give a high five to a coach. And I made the joke that he was channeling his inner Gene Simmons. Colby, I was featured on Black Sports Online. I don't know if you've ever seen Black Sports Online, but I got I got taken to task, although they admitted that I, I was being a good sport about it. The tweet was seen by almost 21 million people. I'm not kidding. 21 million people. 21 million impressions on Twitter. It has 3.2 million views on the clip alone. And this is the best part. And, and maybe this is where we'll wrap up the show. 
So I had a bunch of people who were very upset that I, I was unaware of a fraternity gesture, right? So there was like a large contingent of people who were upset about that. There were some people who said I was an uncultured swine. That's certainly not true. I had one person who questioned if I was really trilingual. That was offensive. Um, but mixed in all of that, mixed in all the hatred and the anger, there were some nice people who were like, hey, you might want to check this out. You might want to see this. You might want to read up on this. People who DM'd who were like, you're handling this the right way. The fact that you didn't delete a tweet and that you're having a good conversation, that people are having good back and forth. It was but weird. Wait, it was like a nice, it was a nice social media moment. But I have to tell you, the thing that made me laugh the hardest was that every fourth or fifth tweet was a woman who said very, very graphic things about what they want Jalen Hurts' very extremely Gene Simmons-esque tongue to do to them. And it was every fifth tweet. I would get, I was getting well, ripped apart. Other people were ripping each other apart. And then there's just a lady talking about and Jalen Hurts' tongue. And Gene Simmons is a legend. So um, here we are. Yeah, I don't, I, I, you'll have to tell me, we won't bore everyone who's listening to this as to why that could have even been a thing, but you'll have to educate me on that and help me. I will. Understand, I will educate you. Cause I'm, I didn't finish my fourth year at Boston university. Um, so I'll need your help on that, but okay. uh, interesting enough, 3.2 million. That's pretty good. Yeah. So let me get your final prediction here. The flyers, where do they finish in this unbelievably stacked East division. I, I think they're a top team. Like I, I look at the flyers and, and I, I think they, they'll be a home ice team in, in the playoffs, you know, whatever that means this year it remains to be seen. Cause we don't really know what's going to happen with fans and whatnot, but like I'm optimistic and I thought the team would be good last year. Um, I didn't think they would potentially go on the runs and be as good as they were. Um, but I, I do like, I think again, the thing I always look at Ross and I'm probably annoying with this. Cause I say it all the time. I used to say it on TV, your, your young players, your Konechny's, your Sandheim's Myers, you know, Nolan Patrick's a little different. Like, you know, what you're going to get from Giroux, you know, what you're going to get from Voracek, you know, what you're going to get from you know, uh, these players who have track records, but you might get the anomaly year for good or for bad, but you're pretty sure you know what you're going to get. But how is Travis Sanheim going to be this year? Is he taking another step? Is Robert Haig taking another step? I don't, with him, I think we know what we're going to get. Is Oscar going to take another step forward? Are we, you know, I think we're going to see him back to his form. And I think we're going to see him take another step in his development because he's worked so hard and he's such a mature guy. And I have an Oscar Lindblom story that I can't share yet. It's a personal story, something he did for me recently that I, I can't talk about it yet because I need to talk with him and make sure it's okay. But it's something people need to know because he's such a good person and he made such a major impact on my personal life in something that I was dealing with and that I've been dealing with. I lost my golden retriever um, about, you know, two weeks ago, uh, the day after Christmas. And it was very sudden. And I can't go into the story, but like, I want to tell everyone, but I want to talk to him first about it to make sure it's okay. But like, I just, I hope he scores 50 goals this year, maybe a hundred goals. Uh, Cause he's just such a good person with everything he's gone through, but he's just, he's just such a good guy. And 
But I look at those players to go back to hockey for a second. And I wonder like if those guys, if Carter Hart gets better and takes another step in the right direction, like if all of those guys that I'm talking about take the next step, Joel Farabee, Morgan Frost, the Flyers are going to be tough to beat. I mean, you, yes, the division's good, but like the NHL's good. There, there's a lot of good teams. There's a lot of good players. There's players making way less money right now that sign in the offseason in places we wouldn't have expected. You know, I mean, the Blues end up with Hoffman and Krug. Like, who would have saw that? Yep. So I just – I'm optimistic, Russ. I really am. And I don't think it's blind optimism. Um, I really don't. I just think you have another year with most of the same group. You add a couple unbelievable pieces and you got to think guys like Sanheim and Myers are going to be better. Konechny's going to be better. Like, and I don't mean better because they didn't play well last year. I mean, you get, you should get better your first six, seven years every year. You should get better. So, um, so yeah, I, I, I think they're a home ice team. I think health, you know, COVID, all of those things. We don't know how that's going to affect this team or any team. Um, but I, I expect to see home Philadelphia Flyers playoff games for the first few rounds next summer, I guess that will be. I will say, and I said this last week, but I'll say it one more time. I think this whole season is predicated on three players. Three players who could potentially take this team from being a top two, three team in their, in their division to being the outright winner of the division and arguably the best team in the conference. Because I do think that if things click the right way, this team can be in that conversation. Oscar Lindblom is one. If he can reform, if he can return to that um, goal leading form that he was at, what, uh, how many months ago was that? It was December. Yeah. I mean, it's just what over a year. So we're at like 13 months since his diagnosis. It's insane to think that just over a year after a diagnosis of a rare bone cancer, uh, the guy's back and, and it physically is, is almost at where he was prior to his diagnosis. Nolan Patrick, because if, if he's back and even if he's a competent third line center, which doesn't mean a transcendent talent, doesn't mean living up to the number two overall billing, but is a solid third line center, which I think honestly is his floor as long as he's available. Right. And either Shane Goss to spare or, or, or yeah. Right. And Shane Goss to spare slash Eric Gustafson. Right. One of those two has to be that dynamic offensive minded defenseman on this team. And honestly, you know, Eric Gustafson signing here, swell. I would like to see Shane Gossespierre have a big year. I would Me like too. to see him return to form. I would like to see that that arc that a guy who has been written off. And on this show, we have talked many times about the fact that he might have been better off over these last couple of years if he had had a change of scenery. I would like to see him get that redemption. He was very open, forthright in training camp about conversations with Elaine Vigneault. I would like to see him have a big year. And if he does, or if Eric Gustafson somehow, you know, fills that kind of role and the power play is a lot more dynamic and the power play is a lot Ooh. more dominant, this team goes from being, you know, a, a third or fourth team in the conference to being legitimately top two, maybe even the best team in the conference if things break the right way. So that's positivity, my friends. By the way, you mentioned fans in the stands. It's worth noting. The Flyers announced today 
that they are going to be hosting a frontline worker and their immediate family at every home game this year on a special platform that's being built behind the Flyers bench. So that's a pretty cool thing that the team is doing. So while it's not quite the same as having, you know, fans in the stands, there will at least be one set of fans in the stands. And it's a really nice way for the organization to show their appreciation to our frontline workers. So I think it's a really cool thing. I don't know how many other teams are doing it, if any other teams are doing it, but I think it's a really cool thing that they're working on. I think it's a really nice initiative. I think it's certainly more meaningful than like what the Phillies did in the summer, right? Where they had like the cardboard cutouts. I mean, it was swell. And I'm sure people got the initial thrill of like seeing their face behind home plate. But this, I think is a really cool thing. I think it's really nice to see. I commend the organization for doing it. And by the way, one other thing on our way out here that we have to commend the organization for the uh, flyers have sent us some things to do as part of a giveaway. I reached out to our contact who did um, an earlier giveaway where we had the playoff shirts. And as part of a, you know, getting the hype going for the postseason, um, you know, we decided to get in touch with them about the start of the regular season. We have a number of shirts, but these aren't just any shirts. These are reverse retro shirts and they're not just like cheap t-shirt quality. These are like that special kind of fabric. That's like the, it like wicks the sweat away. I, I what, what's the blend? It's, it's like, po- it's, it's like polyester it, in there. It's right? polyester. Like, yeah. It's, polyester. it's a great shirt. It's a great shirt, but the cool thing, and we'll have pictures up on Twitter, on Instagram and on Facebook to announce the giveaway. We have a number of these shirts to give away. They have the reverse retro um, logo on the sleeve. It's a really cool look. It's a nice shirt. These shirts retail for 40 bucks. Now, you might think to yourself, why aren't you guys giving away like a $300 jersey? One, I don't have $300. Two, uh, $40 for a shirt is kind of ridiculous, but we're giving them away for free. Uh, We did tell them that we would let uh, the folks know where they can get these shirts. So if you're not one of the winners, sorry about you, but here's where you can get them. So the reverse retro jerseys (laughs) are going to be available uh, for purchase online. That's shop dot wfc philly.com uh slash philadelphia underscore flyers and if you really want to get specific slash reverse underscore retro we'll post that link as well in the description of this episode but uh a big thank you to the flyers for sending those over it's going to be really exciting i think people are really going to like this i've seen some really positive feedback i just posted a thing about how the flyers sent swag to the media and people were commenting on how they liked the logo on the sleeve so some of you out there, you're going to win. Make sure you follow us on Twitter at Snow the Goalie, on Instagram at Snow the Goalie, Facebook.com slash Snow the Goalie. Colby, any parting thoughts as we head out and people get ready? They get super hype. 530 puck drop, Flyers, Penguins. We will be announcing some Flyers watch parties here soon at my outdoor rink in South Jersey and Egg Harbor City. So stay tuned. We will be making some announcements about that in the coming days. I'm very excited. We've talked about this stuff away from the show. And I think uh, for the people who have been hoping to, to get out and kind of experience something together in a safe way, in a safe way, being outdoors and knowing that it's very unlikely that fans are going to be allowed into arenas at any point in the next couple of months, this could be a really cool way to go out spend some time with some other Flyers fans and do it 
truly in a a yeah. safe environment. So, and we'll have we'll make we'll sure have a big screen on the back of the rink. I mean, we'll, you can't really beat it. But again, I, I, we won't give too much away. We'll we'll announce it soon. Uh, make sure you you keep us in the loop, and we will be more than happy to uh, send along the message to the masses to all of those wonderful Snow the Goalie listeners out there. So, follow this man over on Twitter. Colby Cohen, a man who people had nice things to say about. You don't know what you got till it's gone. You pave paradise, put up a parking lot. I don't know what that, <laughs> that has no relevance here. Follow him on Twitter at Colby Cohen 36. And um, we will be back. Well, we're figuring out the logistics of the press row show. So keep your eyes peeled over on the snow, the goalie account at snow, the goalie on Twitter. It'll also go out through Crossing Broad at Crossing Broad on Twitter and the Crossing Broad Facebook page. So that's facebook.com slash Crossing Broad. We'll have the Press Row Show going. Flyers home games. Got two this week. Flyers Penguins. What could possibly go wrong? I'm excited for it. I'm sure Colby's excited for it. Anthony Sanfakovit is very excited for it. And all of the Flyers fans out there are excited for it. Hey, do us a favor. Make sure you go over to Apple Podcasts. Leave a five-star review. And if you've been thinking about it, if, even if you haven't been thinking about it, I want you to go do it. And and let's say that these five-star reviews are going to be the thing that makes Anthony Sanfilippo happy. It's going to be the thing that's going to boost his spirits in a uh, uh, in a tough time as he battles against a stupid virus that everybody hates. And uh, go over there, leave a five-star review. And, uh, oh, here's one. We have a new one right here. I love this. How about this on the way out? Um this person is uh, loved it, but it's now buggy is the name of the person. Such a fun podcast for Flyers fans. Love listening to Russ and Anthony. Great hockey and Flyers content and always fun listening to them bicker like a married couple. Big thank you for that five-star <laughs> review. I'm going to go text Anthony right now and tell him that that is a new five-star review. He's going to be absolutely excited. So listen, hashtag do it for Ant. Go leave a five-star review on Apple Podcasts. We'll read it on the next episode. I'll call him and read them to him. And it'll be great. He'll smile. It'll be great. Thanks so much. Go send the guys some love. Flyers. Let's go Flyers. We will talk to you very soon. Until then. Thanks for listening.